From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome to episode 113 of the Killing It podcast. I'm Carl, joined today by Ryan and Dave, and the weather continues to get just better and better. We were just talking off air. We've all been outside recently. (laughs) We've eaten food outside without a mask. And it's glorious. (laughs) We feel guilty, but we did it. Compared to the pre-days, what we've done is no big deal but it feels like a big deal. And it's very gratifying to eat a cheeseburger standing outside of a restaurant. Nice. Oh, so it's so, it's so nice to, to have these, these things that you did take for granted. It's like, oh, I can do these things again. They're, they're safe. I'm allowed to do them. Like it's, you know, it's not, everything's not completely back to normal. Unless I've got friends that are on different schedules, particularly with their families, but it's, it's, it's nice. It's like, it's, I, it's, I can. <laughs> it's the new normal. It's the, it's the next normal. So. So we'll do our public service. If you have not been vaccinated, please get vaccinated. That's what allows you to go back to, to normal and feel comfortable about that. So please go get vaccinated. Uh, but it, it is, it's kind of nice on the other side. <laughs> it's it's the not bad at all. Come on in. And uh, the good thing for me is Sacramento in the summer is the perfect place to eat outside in the summer. The sun goes down, the temperature drops into the 80s, and it's literally just perfect weather all summer long so for the next four months that's what we're going to do and here in the here in the pacific northwest if it's good enough weather to eat outside you can't possibly find a chair in a normal day because (laughs) every human in the pacific northwest kind of gets that internal signal of the sun's out the wind's not blowing we're going to go eat on a patio somewhere it's it's almost like built into our dna We've got we've got the advantage like oh it's it's usually quite nice this time of year, and then the bugs the cicadas are here. Oh, that's so like, right. Like and, and I've we've had I've had my sightings like there's there are there are dead insect carcasses in my I, backyard already. I saw <laughs> an article where they had a picture of a cicada on a hamburger, and they basically said, "Hey, you know, you only get a chance to eat this once every seventeen years." It's true. <laughs> You can eat them. Not that I want to, but you can. It's a delicacy. It's a delicacy. It's uh, it's quite a thing, and they're even a little. They are coming out. They're a little slower than normal because of the weird temperatures in, in the evenings. But uh, they are here. So and so they come out by the millions. And then what happens? Do like cats and ants eat them? Like, like well, you don't so they shovel them off the street. They come out. They molt, which is their process of coming out of their exoskeletons. So then, then you get these old shells everywhere, right? And then they go into the trees and they make their their mating oh, yeah. song, which is what you hear. Uh, the volume of which is the same volume as a Metallica concert. Just, <laughs> just <laughs> Not nearly as rhythmic, though. Uh, and uh, they breed, so they're having a party up in the up in the in the trees, and then they die. <laughs> so it's a, but then what happens? Like, who eats them? Like, what animal takes them off into the soil once again? The trash man. When I sweep them all, it's <laughs> when I sweep you them do all away. Them. Okay. Right. Oh, that you shovel, you sweep that stuff away. But I mean, obviously, nature takes care of some of that too. And and you know, I know that I know there are some birds and other creatures that eat them, 
but humans, we got to sweep that stuff. Right. Well, and, and, and they're and I a good size, right? They're like the size of your thumb. Oh yeah, yeah they're, they're they're thumb size. They're they're good size. Bugs. And and I did learn from a friend who lived back there that uh, you know if it's cicada season and you're mowing your lawn, don't wear your good shoes. Oh no, it's gross. It's kind of gross. <laughs> Crunch, 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 crunch. That's the way that it goes. Uh, with that, let's switch gears and have an ad. Let's do so. So this week, we're brought to you by our friends at Gazinta. Did you know that the average MSP spends 10 hours manually inputting accounting data each week? That time is 120 prospect calls, a month's worth of the Business of Tech podcast, or building an entire Lego Death Star. Gazinta Mobius can make your life easier through accounting automation. Automatic sync of invoices, expenses, and inventory from ConnectWise Manage into QuickBooks Online in just a single click of a button. With onboarding, direct support, and regular feature releases, Gazinta is a family-owned company dedicated to making software suck a little less each day. Visit them at G-O-Z-Y-N-T-A dot com. All righty. Well, now we're going to lighten things up just a little bit because I am just enchanted with what's going on and a little scared with what's going on with cryptocurrencies. I, I feel like I've slipped into an alternate universe. People create something out of nothing. They convince other people to give them their money. They become millionaires and then it disappears. And, you know, we've got this weird set of things. Uh, my favorite coin is Dogecoin, you know, which is doggy coin. Their symbol is literally a dog. And then a couple of smart guys, we're gonna to link to the article, realized that the dog was a Shibu Inu, and so they created a Shibu coin. And they spent $8,000 creating the coin and made a million dollars. And the only justification was people seem to like dogs. It's just bizarre. Well, I mean, we can take the fun interpretation of this, or we can take the serious interpretation of this. Like the fun is just like we're living in we're living in the weird times. Who knows anymore? Uh, I I tend I, I love uh, Scott Galloway's take on this, where he talks about the fact that that young people who have not had a chance to buy in at certain levels are looking for volatility, and the volatility in the market allows you to buy in at a cheaper point you know when things fall down those that are younger can take their money can invest and let it rise over time uh and at some level they are creating volatility that if you if the market is being propped up if there there's that element of of you know stimulus and government investment or all that stuff that is keeping volatility down they're creating it uh i also think that we've we have the element of the technology moving so fast that regulators aren't entirely sure what we have here and some people are willing to play. <laughs> right. And, and manipulate the coin. Well, oh, and that's, yes. that's the deeper question of it, right? Because, again, I appreciate the silly side of this and the uh, inventing of something out of thin air. Uh, okay, there's, we, we grew up in an industry that was, well, it was known for, if not in a complimentary sense, for what we used to refer to as vaporware, software based on promises that never actually materialized in the world. If you can make vaporware actually into a currency and get paid for it, 
good on you, I suppose, right? Like that's that's a thing. But where I get really uh, questionable about the whole thing is the ability of a single individual to manipulate the market for their individual gain. Now, let's be clear. I'm not suggesting one person as in me or Dave or Carl going to be able to move the market <laughs> I have that much down by 10%. <laughs> but there is a certain four-lettered individual out there who absolutely has that power based on social media, based on cultural currency, and has been using that to deliberately, in my interpretation, uh, manipulate the marketplace. And and that's that's a questionable basis for any investment resource, but especially for a currency-based investment resource. So I, I get where it's coming from. And Dave, I agree with you. I think the volatility for a certain group of investors, it's actually refreshing because the stock market up until the last year has been very orderly, very predictable. It does what it does and only grown-ups are allowed to play. Okay. I get the need for volatility. I just... I think maybe it ought to be based on something other than a guy's ability to shit tweet. But think about this. Uh, if you could invent a pet rock or, right, or some other stupid collectible and just put it out there, a bunch of people would give you money and then it completely disappears and you get to keep the money. This really isn't a lot different than that. It's just, I'm going to create something electronic a whole bunch of people are going to give me a bunch of money and then it's going to disappear. It's, you know, I'm always reminded of the, uh, the old saying that, you know, when somebody with money meets somebody with experience, the person with experience is going to leave with the money and the person with the money is going to leave with the experience. <laughs> this is playing out as we speak on Reddit today. Absolutely. And, you know, there once was a time where Beanie Babies cost $6 and then they were worth 6000 and then they were worth six. And, and it's not a question of whether it was a good or bad investment. It's just a question of timing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, this is, this is, I mean, like, you know, I, I feel like a broken record sometimes. It's like, well, there's a reason there's regulation, everybody. It's like to keep the rules of the game so that, so that you keep yourself from going off, off the rails. Like, and look, I like a life, a, a nice wide swath on this kind of stuff. I do think. I buy into the idea that volatility is good. I want to make sure that like the destruction of previous uh, gains also allows for new gains. Like we, if, if things are static and you, you never have the opportunity to make a change. But I also want there to be a certain degree of, of actual uh, you know intelligence to the way this is all done, uh, so that so that we so that the the rules keep things from just completely going off the the rails. Well, then my big question is, and now now and now I'm completely off the silly side, but onto the serious side. Is all of this activity speeding up or slowing down uh, the acceptance of legit coins like Bitcoin and Ethereum? Right. Because on one hand, you say, well, now we're seeing the dark side, like right out the gate <laughs> before we too, put too much of the industry on it. Uh, on the other hand, um, you know, there's some really good, useful stuff that can be done with blockchain and uh, cryptocurrencies. So is this speeding it up or slowing it down to have this kind of uh, silliness going on? Yeah, I mean, it seems like the silliness is slowing it down among serious investors. But from my own perspective, right, I've seen it. I understand. We've been talking about it for, for a few years. I, I've understood it, but it has forced me to do the, 
Okay, but is there still anything real? So I do a little bit of deeper reading. I'm more positive about some of the, the B2B applications and international applications of various forms, not just Bitcoin, but some of the others out there. I, I take them more seriously today than I did a year ago. And that's in spite of the silliness, but you know, your mileage may vary. I, I think it's slowing down serious people, but it's making us think about it hard. Uh, I, I, like, and again, I, I, I think that the, the silliness can be a distraction, but it's also like we need to make sure that it isn't such a distraction or that the rules of the game are, are well-defined. That's, that's distinctly my takeaway. And uh, one final note before we move to the next topic, and that is you have to report this all this activity on your federal tax return. So keep track of it because <laughs> yes. there is no, uh, you know, JP Morgan or anybody else keeping track of it for you. No, that is very true. So I will take us to the next one. Uh, this was a fun story because it was uh, almost wanted to do the debate of can you take a ride for a burrito uh, <laughs> and it count. Uh, as Carl found a great article about a free A to go autonomous shuttle service launching in Ann Arbor. And of course, Ryan's been to Ann Arbor uh, a couple of times recently and has, has family that way. But as we were prepping on this, I had to laugh and go, hey, guys, that's already in Fairfax. <laughs> it's like this autonomous vehicle service. Uh, it's here by my house. There's one that's been running in a pilot program for over a year now. And so it was interesting that like, I want to talk a little bit about what this program is from autonomous vehicles. Like there is a new shuttle service in Ann Arbor. It's made possible through some mobility efforts. You know, it'll run a fleet of five vehicles around, around the community in particularly focused on wheelchair passengers and, and mo movement from that perspective. The one here in Fairfax is actually specifically tying the metro so the subway for those of you not from the area out to two commercial mixed use spaces so residential and uh retail spaces so that if you live just a little too far to walk from the metro you can hop on the shuttle and you can go take the take the metro into the city uh obviously that's a little less useful in the pandemic uh, but that's the intention of those shuttles. I've passed that car. Like, it just drives down the street. Uh, and does it's that a legit count? shuttle, and it's a legit autonomous vehicle. Yes, it is. It has, you know, is a legit freestanding vehicle. The roads have not been modified. It uses sensors and radar and LIDAR and all of those kinds of things to drive itself around. Uh, it's a pilot, so I think that they are. there is a safety operator involved. Uh, it's a, a good portion of the time, but it drives down the road. Like I've passed it. <laughs> it's, there are designated, uh, there are designated pickup spots. It's kind of like a bus stop, uh, but they're labeled like the relay autonomous vehicle pickup. Um, there's a couple of them and it does this loop and it drives around and it's on the, it's on the slower roads around the area. It doesn't go out on the, on the highway or anything like that, but it tools around like up to 35 miles per hour and, and it works. I have not been in it yet because I don't live close enough that I could get on the shuttle. I'm far enough away that I would actually, if I'm going, there, I think I'll drive. We, we might have to give you some homework, young man. Take ah, do you want get me to a burrito, bring it home? <laughs> okay, so that so like th this is there is there is a Chipotle and there is like I mean there's a couple of good food spots. Like, does it count if I bought if I did take and buy autonomous shuttle to pick up a burrito? No, 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 no that's that's gonna be a side bet. <laughs> it, it does it does count as the first inaugural uh, killing it field reporting assignment. So uh, Ooh, uh, there you go. Take take your phone. Uh, 
capture some video, get some uh, get some shots of the machine and some of the cool switches on the dashboard. I mean, even if it doesn't answer the burrito debate, it absolutely fills the cool debate because all right, it's going so. There. So for the fun bit, I will. So my, I, my, I don't know if I'll do it for next week, but I will do it shortly. Is I will go drive over there. I will like because by the way, I have to drive to go <laughs> right, exactly to where, to where it is. Let's observe <laughs> that. And I will take the shuttle to the metro and back again. And I will take some video and I will take some some pictures. Uh, and I will distinctly get lunch while I am doing so. <laughs> Very good. And you can live stream it, right? Like we'll. We'll help you promote all that. So. Oh, live streaming. Now, there's there's an idea. Take there, there's some just... modern technology applications. See, but over the last couple of weeks, we've we've had some conversations about smart cities and about geotagging and, uh, you know, some of the artificial intelligence applications that fit into this. It is very nice to see a real world application of some of these conceptual uh, technologies that we've been talking about. And it does speak to me. I, I think that autonomous cars, as much as I think that that's going to happen someday, it'll never just be a flip a switch and all of us wake up one day and our car is autonomous. It will be very specific use cases in admittedly limited applications in the beginning, and then it will gradually grow out. Uh, people shuttles, I mean, for anybody who's ever traveled through the Denver International Airport, I, I mean, there are no operators on those trains, and we whisked back and forth many thousands of times over the years. Now, granted, it's on a track, so it doesn't have the same risk, but I think people are good with the idea of just getting on a shuttle and letting the machine take you from here to there without necessarily having a driver. It, it meets that real-world benefit and customer acceptability standard. And for a brand new technology like autonomous vehicles, that's a really good milestone. Well, and there's still the cool factor, right? Exactly. You're, you're out on the wild road where anything yep. can happen. And apparently, I mean, Dave didn't mention them, you know, uh, spreading anybody over or... <laughs> You know, killing any passengers or anything. Not that I'm aware of. Certainly, no. you feel like that would have gotten the news locally if, yeah. if someone was killed by an autonomous well, vehicle. Well, and, and it also, I mean, I don't mean to belittle, you know, the seriousness of people dying, you know, in yep. car accidents, but uh, put it side by side with these people who go turn on their Tesla and pretend that it's a completely autonomous vehicle, which it isn't yet. And, and Tesla doesn't claim it is. Um, but they brag enough that people say, oh, what the heck? I can just go on the road at 80 miles an hour and it'll be fine. And I'll uh, take that's a not, nap in the drivers. That's not an appropriate use of technology. <laughs> no, not at all. Although I will say, if you do a Google for this one, uh, just this week, there was a story about uh, a challenging experience for the Waymo uh, autonomous car. It was supposedly tasked with, uh, trained and tasked with navigating a set of orange traffic cones in a driving course. And the video uh, was not a positive endorsement of the state of their autonomous <laughs> vehicle. It, it, it caused it serious confusion. It's good to see other people actually making progress. Well, remember all those rockets that blow up on the launch pad uh, with, you know, un, unattended, no, no human beings involved. Uh, that's part of how you actually figure out how to successfully launch a rocket. So, you know, Having having the Waymo car drive over a bunch of cones, I'm okay with that. <laughs> cones don't on the way to not driving over top of me. So. Well, who knew I was who knew I was going to do a podcast today and get assigned homework? 
<laughs> it, it is it is a modern world of work from anywhere and work from anywhere can have some pretty creative applications apparently all right listeners so you're gonna have to you're gonna have to chime in and let me know if you're gonna watch this live stream i will uh i will coordinate will coordinate and probably do it on the msp radio youtube channel that may be the most right. logical place for me to do it so Excellent. i i have my homework i will go ride an autonomous vehicle and i'll be happy to promote Killing it, the multimedia experience. Experience. <laughs> Excellent. All right, yeah, let's, yeah, we'll go. let's move to our third topic here then. Uh, the good folks at NVIDIA have realized that no one can actually buy their very highly in-demand products. And so they are announcing that they are going to release an intentionally reduced capacity, lowered hash rates on some of their graphics cards that will be targeted specifically to the gaming industry application and not be appropriate for higher end applications like artificial intelligence training, or as we've been hinting at sort of today, the, the world of crypto mining where everything is just about the cycle times. Um, I think this is a very interesting evolution in the marketplace. Uh, for those of you that have read the, the Innovator's Dilemma and you understand the concept of disruptive innovation, it is fascinating when a vendor voluntarily disrupts themselves in the marketplace by reducing an intentionally inferior product to serve a specific market requirement as opposed to just stretch the bleeding edge of performance and capacity in without any thought about what it's being used for. Uh, guys, what are your thoughts about a, this new product, and B, the uh, the implications for some of the supply chain availability that's going on. See, I didn't think of this as crippling the, the product. I th think of this as making sure that there are products in each of the application spaces required to serve their customers. If you're and, and admittedly, because of such of the demand problems, if the crypto miners are buying it all up and you have an entire constituency of customers that are unable to buy product, all you're doing is angering them. So this allows you to serve both markets, um, you know, to actually ensure that you don't alienate a customer base who theoretically at some level have been with you for a very long time. And video is, is a, a longstanding player in the gaming community. Uh, they're one, you know, one of two major players for video cards. Uh, you know, and I, I'm not a, I don't profess to be a high-end gamer on this front, but I know that you got to have those cards in order to, to actually right. game. And if they've been, they have been in such sort of search supply that you literally can't upgrade machines, you can't engage like that. Then that affects, by the way, a massive business. Let's observe that the video game industry is the one of the largest. It, it dwarfs the Hollywood uh, ecosystem, the music e ecosystem. Like that is a serious space that you are serving, don't underestimate their, their decision of that. The crypto miners, way less important than serving that than your gaming community from an entertainment spend perspective. Well, and you're an important cog in that machine. Yeah, and I would I would point out you know, the difference between a feature and a benefit, right? They're actually, I wouldn't call it crippleware, but they're saying we are we're producing a product that's slightly slower and they even have a little name for it. It's an LHR, <laughs> lower hash rate. But you know, it's kind of cool that they're going to have a little logo for that. And it's a benefit because it allows you to get a video card. <laughs> <And> <laughs> right. at, the, at the same time, they they uh, 
the article we're going to point to uh, points out that a little while back, they also uh, in, started selling cards that are GPUs, graphic processing units, that are not video cards. So they're, they're basically, you've got one piece of crippleware that's only intended for crypto mining and another one that says, look, this isn't good enough for crypto mining. So, you know, let, let the people play their games. See, and what's fascinating is the evolution, as Dave's pointing to, in the substance of the market, right? I've, I've been familiar with the B2B applications of NVIDIA for many years, right? In the system builder custom configuration space, uh, I, I remember many years ago sitting in a room where we were trying to figure out the marketing messaging for I know you think this is just a toy, but it's got a serious business application. Let us show you what some of the geospatial and mining industry and, uh, and medical research calculation, other applications for the NVIDIA product line. Um, the fact that back then they used to have to say, I know you think of us only as a gaming product, but I swear we're more than that. And now fast forward to, hey guys, we're deliberately emphasizing the fact that we are a gaming product because to your point dave not only is gaming itself a very large industry but perhaps one of the most exciting growth industries is esports and if you look to the applications of that in k-12 in universities in uh, education extension type applications uh, that's a market today that I fast forward 10 years and I will predict esports will be a dramatically larger market than it is right now. And none of those people can get a freaking card. I mean, literally every 13 year old I know in this world would would trade you any of their other technology, including their PS5 just to get a freaking graphics card these days. It's like, that that's clearly a supply and demand issue. Congratulations for these folks to, you know, kind of subdivide their, their product portfolio to specifically address a killer audience. And by the way, I would be remiss if I didn't say, this is just one technique. This is doing it via product. This is the whole point of coupons, right? It's to take the same product and position it in different markets that's in different price points. Like if you want to fluctuate price points and position a product to multiple constituency, it's called a coupon. Like that's why you issue a coupon that, that a coupon goes to those buyers that are more price sensitive. You can thus put the same product into their hands at a lower price. The uh, another strategy is by doing it via product choice. This is about serving multiple markets. That's the point. And it, if you're thinking about this as a small business IT services type person, this is why you place different products, either with different feature sets or different price points or different strategies so that you can get the different constituencies that you want to serve. So you're, you're kind of like takeaway here is, is the fact that you can think about the way that you want to position services to your own customers by learning these lessons of, am I changing the feature set? Am I changing the price point? How do I do that to deliver that? Well, and Ryan had mentioned the innovator's dilemma. Then there's the innovator's solution. And the solution turns out to be, look, just because somebody's got this big monstrous thing doesn't mean you have to add more features to that to compete. You could downsize just a little bit, 
find a niche market and sell the hell out of it because yep. <laughs> you have no competition. Um, and that is a lesson that uh, small IT providers can learn because you don't have to be Walmart to compete with Walmart. You can set up an e-commerce site that just is enough to serve your clients perfectly. See, that's the so thing, right? True. It's not about what it does. It's about the problem that it solves. It's not about what it costs. It's about the value that it provides, right? You can use a bunch of selling cliches, but the upshot here is solve the problem your audience is willing to pay to solve instead of trying to promote the product that you want to build and deliver. I think that has expansive implications for solution providers of any stripe, but especially for MSPs who have been conditioned to believe one set of services, standard deliverable for everybody, standard price for everybody. Well, that's just not the most efficient way to address your market or to maximize your revenue, right? You can, you can sell the same thing to a different audience just by slightly tweaking the marketing message. A perfect example of this when we were in Ann Arbor last week, which by the way, that shuttle is gonna happen right after they finish tearing up all their damn streets in Ann Arbor, Michigan, because <laughs> the road construction has gone a little bit berserk right now, and I think it's because of that shuttle. But there, there's a television campaign for solar energy and a battery to go in, in your garage. Not new, right? We've all been seeing these things for years, but you've seen them with a marketing message that said environmental and alternative energies and a lower carbon footprint. And wouldn't it be great to reduce the cost of your thing? This marketing campaign, exactly the same solar panels, exactly the same wall mount battery, but it's being sold as a don't let the man tell you what your energy prices should be. Take back control from the man. And I was like, exactly the same product, totally different marketing campaign, double your adoption rate. That is something our industry really needs to learn to do much more frequently. Oh, totally true. Well, I think we've, we've managed to, uh, to pull this one together. Again, put your products in different spaces, guys. And, and thank you, NVIDIA, for letting me buy a video card again. <laughs> yeah. It does raise the question, have video cards uh, become more important? Have video processors become more important than the central processor on a computer? From a differentiation point of view, yes, right? Because there's more than enough capacity and performance inside the CPU, the differentiability, and if you get into the science of parallel processing versus, versus sequential processing, I, I think that when you get into high-end systems, more of the the performance on a modern, especially video-based application, is differentiated by the GPU rather than the CPU. So, it, it is a modern world. Very nice. Final comments, or are we done? I think we've killed that one. Okay, you have, <laughs> you have wasted another thirty minutes listening to episode one thirteen of the Killing It, Killing it podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It Podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.